the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering in Portland. Pedro Bartes producing and engineering in Seattle. And we're glad you're along for the ride. Coming up later this program, we'll talk with uh, Michael Johnson. He is the president of Slavic Gospel Association. We're going to talk about the challenges of Ukrainian Jews who immigrated to Israel. And we'll talk about some Slavic believers who are ministering to uh, these Jews in both Ukraine and in Israel. He'll be joining us later in today's program. First, some of the headlines. Special counsel Jack Smith on Monday made an expedited appeal to the Supreme Court on the question of Donald Trump's immunity claim, which the former president has invoked in the hopes of protecting himself from federal charges related to his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election. This case presents a fundamental question at the heart of our democracy, whether a former president is absolutely immune from federal prosecution for crimes committed while in office, Smith wrote. In a legal filing, the United States recognizes that this is an extraordinary request. This is an extraordinary case. Well, Smith, who is spearheading the Biden Justice Department's prosecution of the former president, urged the Supreme Court to rule on the immunity argument immediately so that his trial can proceed as promptly as possible if his claim of immunity is rejected, referring to the president's claim. The case concerns former President Trump's alleged interference in the 2020 election in the grand jury's indictment. Trump was charged with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. Earlier this month, Trump has denied immunity by was denied immunity by Judge Tanya Chutkin who is uh, presiding over the criminal 2020 election case. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals also delivered a tentative decision that Trump has not established that he has immunity from civil lawsuits for his actions leading up to the Capitol riot on January 6th, 21. Trump's uh, conduct prior to the certification of the 2020 election results, including his January 6th speech outside the Capitol, have not been determined official or unofficial acts yet, the three-judge panel said. Well, in seeking an answer from the Supreme Court, Smith is looking to bypass a federal appeals court on the matter of Trump's immunity claim. Respondents' appeal of the ruling rejecting his immunity and related claims, however, suspends the trial of the charges against him scheduled to begin on the 4th of March, 2024, which, of course, is right in the middle of a major campaign season. Well, we learned later today that the Supreme Court has indicated it will expedite consideration of a petition by special counsel Jack Smith on whether former President Donald Trump can be prosecuted on charges he plotted to overturn the 2020 election results. Smith made his request for the court to act with unusual speed to prevent any delays that could push back the trial until after next year's presidential election. Trump's trial in the election interference case is set to begin, as I mentioned, in March. The court has asked Trump's lawyers to respond to the special counsel 
Council's motion by next Wednesday, that's the 20th of December, two days later than Smith had requested. The court's next scheduled conference day for consideration of such matters is the 5th of January, 2024. The court's brief order did not signal what it ultimately would do, but this is a significant movement in this case regarding the former president and his culpability and attempting to influence or overturn the 2020 election. Also, the Supreme Court has declined to hear an appeal filed by a Christian therapist against Washington state's ban on gay conversion therapy, which is essentially talk therapy, allowing the law to remain in effect. In an orders list released this morning, the high court declined without comment a petition for a writ of seratory in the case of Brian Tingley versus Robert Ferguson, attorney general of Washington state at all. The decision received separate dissenting opinions from Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Thomas claimed that Washington had silenced one side of this debate through state law, a law that restricts speech based on its content or viewpoint is presumptively unconstitutional and may be upheld only if the state can prove that the law is narrowly tailored to serve compelling state interests, Thomas wrote. He also argued that the state law was viewpoint-based and content-based discrimination on its purest rather in its purest form and presumptively unconstitutional, adding that the state must show that it can survive strict scrutiny before enforcing it, end quote. Well, in 2018, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, he signed Senate Bill 5722 into law. The measure prohibited licensed therapists, trained therapists from engaging in sexual orientation change effort therapy on uh, uh, underage individuals. In other words, talk therapy, also referred to as conversion therapy or reparative therapy by critics. S.O.C.E. therapy involves counseling that attempts to reduce or eliminate same-sex sexual attraction in a person. And while the law exempts religious groups, Tangley's uh, filed suit against Washington in 2021, arguing that the exemption did not sufficiently protect the freedoms of religion and speech. Well, a three-judge panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled unanimously against Tangley in September of last year, with Circuit Judge Ronald M. Gould writing the court opinion. And I quote, states do not lose the power to regulate the safety of medical treatments performed under the authority of a state license merely because those treatments are implemented through speech rather than through scalpel, wrote Gould, a Clinton appointee. Washington's law prohibits therapists from practicing conversion therapy on minors. It makes no reference to religion except to clarify that the law does not apply to practice by religious counselors, end quote. Well, in January, the Ninth Circuit Court It uh, voted to deny a full court rehearing of the lawsuit. Circuit Judge um, O'Scanlan, a uh, Reagan appointee, authored a statement respecting the order, but believing that the earlier panel opinion had an erroneous reasoning. In sum, under binding Supreme Court precedents, conversion therapy consisting entirely of speech cannot be prohibited without some degree of First Amendment scrutiny, wrote O'Scanlan. Well, the panel cites no evidence for the implausible proposition that conversion therapy conducted entirely by means of speech risks direct physical harm. Speech, which risks psychological harm, does not thereby become non-speech conduct entirely without First Amendment protections. So the U.S. Supreme Court has declined to hear the case, and apparently the law stands as it fell. Writing in response to that, um, one of the legal organizations, Liberty Council's founder and chairman, Matt Staver, said this. 
Today, the Supreme Court declined to review the case of a licensed marriage and family therapist who sought to strike down Washington's state ban that prevents counselors from providing minor clients with help to reduce or eliminate unwanted same-sex attractions, behaviors, or gender confusion. Justice Thomas Alito and Kavanaugh would have voted to take the case because of the current conflict in the federal courts of appeal as a result of Liberty Council's case, rather cases, Otto versus City of Boca Raton and Vaso versus City of Tampa, both of which struck down nearly identical counseling bans that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld in Tingley versus Ferguson. Liberty Council founder and chairman Matt Staver said Liberty Council will continue until these unconstitutional counseling bans are overturned nationwide. It is not a matter of uh, of or if, but only a matter of when. All these counseling bans will be struck down. That day is coming. Liberty Council has been in this fight since California passed the first counseling ban. Our recent wins at the Court of Appeals sets up a conflict that the high court will have to resolve. Government has no authority to prohibit one viewpoint of talk therapy. End quote. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a break, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, just like he said. Coming up later in the program, Michael Johnson, president of the Slavic Gospel Association, will talk about the challenges of Ukrainian Jews who recently migrated to um, Israel, particularly Ashkelon, which is about 12 miles from the uh, border with Gaza. Anyway, they uh, went from the frying pan into the fire. We'll talk with him about that and how the the church in that area is ministering to them as well as in Ukraine. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, residents of small middle Tennessee towns began an organized effort on Monday to clean up debris and help their neighbors after a deadly tornado ripped through the heart of the volunteer state over the weekend. Montgomery County officials have confirmed three deaths in Clarksville, including one child, after a tornado on Saturday brought peak winds of 150 miles an hour, tearing homes apart. More than 60 people were treated for injuries from the twister, according to the National Weather Service. Volunteers and donations are needed in Montgomery County, where storm survey teams from the National Weather Service confirmed an EF3 tornado was responsible for the devastation in Clarksville. About 170,000 people live in that community, home to the Fort Campbell Army Base. Clarksville city officials said the coordinated volunteer cleanup began on Monday, where the most extensive tornado damage occurred. Volunteers gathered at the Mosaic Church before being taken by bus to different cleanup locations. We had crews mobilized at daybreak today in these areas to clean up roadways, the the mayor there said. We've got shelters set up, food, showers, laundry services, whatever is needed. We've got it available. Schools in Clarksville will remain closed uh, for the next couple of days, according to uh, the Weather Service. West Creek Elementary School did sustain minor damage, but they say that they're mostly concerned about families impacted by damage to their homes, particularly at this time of year as well. Keep them in your prayer. This community of Clarksville, Tennessee. Well, Victor Davis Hansen um, wrote an it. Actually, it's um, this isn't his article. This is uh, Thomas Kanachi, I think is the uh, pronunciation of his name in which he pointed out at the recent U.N. climate summit, they were serving some pretty um, spiffy food, gourmet burgers, barbecue. Uh, at the same time, they were calling for Americans to stop eating meat. Well, the United Nations uh, COP28 climate summit in Dubai offered a wide variety of gourmet food options from vendors who serve beef, even as it's prepared a report 
uh, that is expected to call for the West to reduce consumption of beef. According to the summit's online portal, its food offerings include juicy beef, slabs of succulent meat, smoked Wagyu burgers, Philly cheesesteaks, and melt-in-your-mouth barbecue, in addition to African street barbecue, fast, casual Mexican fare, and an Asian option that has a touch of French flair. The revelation comes as the U.N. faces criticism for preparing a first-of-its-kind report that's expected to be published at the summit and call for lower meat consumption. Apparently not leading by example. Well, the U.N.'s Food and Agricultural Organization uh, will publish its first ever global food systems roadmap during an upcoming COP28 session, which is expected to recommend nations that overconsume meat to limit their consumption as part of a broader effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The U.N. has for years, years rather, called for individuals to ditch animal-based diets, which is, uh, it says, have a high impact on our planet. But if you're gathered together with like-minded people, you can eat as much of it as you'd like. It's just the rest of us, the peons, who need to watch what we put in our mouths. FAO emphasizes the critical need for an innovative plan and a concrete package of solutions to overhaul agri-food systems, the organization said in a statement. The global roadmap is positioned as a strategic tool to demonstrate that accelerated climate actions can transform agri-food systems, simultaneously addressing food security and nutrition challenges today and in the future without breaching the 1.5-degree threshold. In this roadmap, FAO, that's the uh, name of the uh, COP28, is urging uh, for good food for today and tomorrow. Well, the core goal is to achieve sustainable development, goal two, zero hunger while being climate friendly, to attract climate financing for mitigation, adaption, and resilience, along with the actions required to support the achievement of 1.5 degrees based on a country's commitment, consensus, and country transition. Well, it all boils down to don't eat meat, or at least eat significantly less of it. But if you're at the conference, that doesn't really matter. Juicy beef, slabs of succulent meat, smoked Wagyu burgers, Philly cheesesteaks, melt-in-your-mouth barbecue, African street barbecue, fast, casual Mexican fare, and an Asian option with a French flair. So if you want some good food, just uh, go to the COP conference and you can eat all the meat you want. Well, with the current war in Israel resulting in the cancellation of many planned tours and pilgrimages to the Holy Land, the Magdala Tourist Center in this uh, biblical town of Magdala is offering a virtual pilgrimage during Advent to help bring the Holy Land to those who cannot get there in person. Well, dubbed the Star of Wonder Advent Pilgrimage of Peace, the free virtual pilgrimage began on Sunday the 3rd. And first, uh, the first Sunday of Advent, videos are available on Magdala's YouTube page. The pilgrimage consists of videos from different locations throughout Israel and Palestine, all of which are significant to the story of Jesus' birth. A different video will be released every Sunday, the Magdala, the Magdala Tourist Center says. In addition to um, Magdala, believed to be the birthplace and hometown of Mary, Magda, uh, Mary Magdalene, Stops on the pilgrimage include the Church of the Visitation in Ein Karim, Nazareth, and Bethlehem, the location of the birth of Christ. The Church of the Visitation is built on the traditional location of the meeting between Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, as told in the Gospel of Luke. Well, the whole tour is overseen by Kathleen Nichols. She's the director of the Magdala Media English team. The pilgrimage videos will also include reflections on the biblical meaning of peace, uh, the press release says. 
She and her small team made the journey to uh, into the area to film the now empty sites connected with Jesus' birth, hoping that virtual pilgrimage will fill them with prayers for peace from all over the world. And uh, you can find that again on their website, the Magdala Tourist Center. I've had the tremendous uh, privilege of traveling to Israel on many occasions to stand in those very sites. And so I can recall them to my mind very easily. Uh, But for those who have not been or for those who have and would like to just see them uh, again presented during Advent, that's a great source uh, for you. And other news, Hunter Biden indicted on nine new charges accused of spending on extravagant lifestyle on not taxes. President Biden's son was indicted in California on Thursday on a litany of tax charges, according to documents made public. The indictment, Hunter Biden's failure to pay nearly $200,000 of income tax in the year 2019. Special counsel David Weiss has been using a federal grand jury in Los Angeles to gather evidence of possible criminal tax charges against Hunter Biden. He pleaded not guilty in October to federal gun charges in U.S. District Court for the District of Delaware after being charged out of Weiss's year-long, rather years-long investigation. California is facing a major budget crisis due to a severe revenue decline and a record $68 billion budget deficit likely forcing Democrats running for state to cut spending as the mass exodus of people and businesses moving to Republican-run states continues. According to California's Nonpartisan Legislative Analysts Office, or LAO, report released Thursday, the state's budget deficit has grown exponentially in just a few months up more than $54 billion from just $14.3 billion in June. The deficit isn't the largest to ever face the state as the percentage of overall spending, but it is the largest in terms of real dollars. A major donor at the University of Pennsylvania is withdrawing a donation worth roughly $100 million as a protest against the college's handling of anti-Semitism on campus and the controversial testimony by Penn's president on the subject. Ross Stevens, founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Asset Management, donated to Penn in 2017 a gift that consisted of partnership units in the firm, which are now valued as uh, around $100 million to help the university establish a financial innovation center. Attorneys from Stevens sent the university a letter indicating the school violated Stone Ridge's limited partnership agreement through its failure to adhere to anti-discrimination and anti-harassment rules. The news was first reported by Axios. The letter said that Stevens and Stone Ridge are appalled by the university's stance on anti-Semitism on campus. It added that Penn's permissive approach to hate speech, calling for violence against Jews and laissez-faire attitude toward harassment and discrimination against Jewish students, would violate any policy of rules that prohibit harassment and discrimination based on religion, including those of Stone Ridge. It also took issue with University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill's testimony before the House Education and Workforce Committee this week or last week, in which she said that whether anti-Semitic chants and calls for genocide of Jewish people are prohibited speech on campus are context dependent and would violate Penn's rules against bullying and harassment if it was directed, pervasive and severe. Seems to me it has been directed, pervasive and severe. The letter from Stevens and Stone Ridge noted that Miguel's testimony and her subsequent clarification posted on social media seemingly conceded that such anti-Semitic rhetoric would violate Penn's rules as harassment and discrimination. In response to the backlash, Miguel posted on a a video on Wednesday in which she said that her testimony during the hearing was focused on university policies and the constitutional protections of free speech, but that she wanted to be clear that a call for genocide 
side of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. I don't know why she didn't feel the need to be clear while being asked. In my view, she went on to say it would be harassment or intimidation and that Penn's campus policies should be clarified and evaluated and that as president, she's committed to a safe, secure and supportive environment so all members of our community can thrive. We can and will get this right. End quote. Well, Stephen's letter to Penn indicated that he and Stone Ridge would be willing to reconsider the withdrawal of the, his donation only after the university has replaced McGill in the role as president. She has since resigned. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, the ongoing migrant crisis at the southern border is breaking new records and multiple marks have been set since September as the crisis deepens into its third year and Washington struggles to agree on solutions. Well, the latest record was smashed Tuesday with over 12,000 migrants and migrant encounters at the southern border. It marked the highest total for a single day ever recorded. Over 10,200 of those were Border Patrol encounters of illegal immigrants coming between ports of entry. The record is one of a number that have been broken in recent months. It was revealed in October that fiscal year 2023 set a new record for migrant encounters at the southern border, with 2.4 million encounters outpacing the record set in fiscal year 2022. A top House Republican is moving to force a Trump administration-era policy back into the federal government, calling it a simple way to rein in President Biden's progressive regulatory actions. The bill introduced by Representative Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin would codify a government policy active under former President Donald Trump, which forced federal agencies to identify two regulations to be cut for everyone enacted. The legislation is named the Two-for-One Act. I would recommend you not hold your breath. Well, the head of Israel's Ben-Gurion University took notice that the president's of Harvard University, Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the University of Pennsylvania failed to take a staunch position against calls for violence against the Jewish community testimony Tuesday of last week on Capitol Hill. The hearing was a response to the rampant anti-Semitism on college campuses that has plagued America since the Hamas terror attacks on the 7th of October. Among the critics is Ben-Gurion University President Daniel Chamovitz, who said this is a personal issue for him as the leader of a university located just 20 miles from the Gaza Strip and as a graduate of Columbia University. Quoting, on October 7th, over 80 people from my university, both workers and students, were murdered, Chamovitz said. I have over 600 homeless because their homes have been destroyed. And even if this uh, to this day, we still have five members of our community, including two students who are being held hostage in captivity in Gaza. So this is deeply, deeply personal, end quote. Chamovitz said it was assumed there might be anti-Israel backlash when the Jewish state began its counter-offensive in Gaza, aiming to eliminate Hamas terrorists, but he said it never occurred to him that there would be any thought about not condemning Hamas actions as terrorists. We took for granted that people would condemn murder, that they would condemn rape, that they would feel for the hostages, he said. Very quickly, we saw that reality wasn't the case. That on some campuses across North America, Hamas, a nihilistic terrorist organization which shares no liberal values with anything that America stands for, with anything that's gone through in higher education, was celebrated as a case celebre across some campuses. Shamovitz traveled to the United States last week to meet with leaders in American academia, where he planned to address those issues with fellow university presidents. 
But in his time as leader at Ben-Gurion University, he has never been so disrespected as he was by his alma mater. A student at Columbia 40 years ago, Chamovitz, said that he was told five minutes before a meeting scheduled last week with one of the university's vice presidents that it was canceled. As president of a university, I have never been disrespected like this in my entire time, he added. I've never treated another president like that. I mean, it's only my interpretation, but I think I was an uncomfortable visitor for them. Traveled from Israel to Colombia five minutes before. Sorry, it's canceled. Former President Trump announced on his social media platform, Truth Social, on Sunday, that he no longer plans to testify at his civil fraud trial. Uh, The former president had been scheduled to testify today as one of the final defense witnesses in a trial that's lasted two months and is entering its final week of testimony. Court officials also confirmed that the former president had notified the court that he was not testifying. As everyone knows, I have very successfully and conclusively testified in the corrupt Biden directed New York State Attorney General's rigged trial against me. World-renowned experts, highly respected bank and insurance executives, real estate professionals, as well as others, both honest and credible, have stated clearly and unequivocally that I and my very successful company did nothing wrong. My financial statements were conservative, liquid, and extraordinary. End quote. And of course, that's uh, Trump speaking. The reversal of Trump's testimony came after an accounting expert testified that the AG's case had no merit and that he didn't see any evidence of fraud in the financial statements that were being challenged by the AG. Democrats are reportedly bringing in Hillary Clinton as a reinforcement to help President Biden with his 2024 reelection campaign. NBC News reported the former Secretary of State held a fundraiser for Biden last month at her Georgetown home that raised Close to a million dollars. Her popularity with women and key parts of the Democratic base are considered assets for Biden as he attempts to expand his outreach to voters. Clinton's role in Biden's reelection effort is expected to grow as the 2024 presidential election nears, according to NBC. Surprisingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly, the president, Barack Obama, has not been called upon to support his former vice president. Hillary Clinton failed in her effort to be elected president. Barack Obama was successful and served two terms, but he is nowhere to be seen or heard, raising some eyebrows. Elon Musk's SpaceX announced on Sunday that a planned Space Force mission involving the U.S. military's secretive X-37B spacecraft. Maybe I should whisper that the U.S. military's secretive X-37B spacecraft has been pushed back a day due to the weather. The launch was initially Scheduled to occur on Sunday at 8.14 Eastern Time at NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida, but has been delayed to the same time this evening when weather conditions were expected to be more conducive to the launch. Haven't heard if that was the case, however. SpaceX said in a post on X, uh, formerly Twitter, that it's now targeting Monday, December 11th for Falcon's heavy launch of the USS F-52 mission. With favorable weather conditions forecasted to improve to improve rather to 70 percent favorable for liftoff on Monday night, Eastern Time. The Boeing X-37B is an unmanned robotic spacecraft operated by the Air Force Rapid Capabilities Office in collaboration with the Space Force based on an earlier variant of the spacecraft used by the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, also known as NASA. 
The Biden administration is sending California more than $3 billion in federal taxpayer funds for the state's high-speed rail project, which was first approved some 15 years ago and has since faced unprecedented delays and been dramatically downsized. The White House announced $3.07 billion in additional federal funding for the California inaugural high-speed rail service project as part of a broader... Uh, announcement Friday unveiling a total of $8.2 billion in new passenger rail corridors nationwide. The project, which has ballooned $80 billion over budget since it was first approved by California voters in 2008, has been championed by Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom and former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. California is delivering on the first 220 mile per hour electric high speed rail project in the nation. OK, maybe not delivering, but they're certainly talking about it. That was a quote from Newsom, and well, the first part was, um, after the funding was announced, this show of support from the Biden-Harris administration is a vote of confidence in today's vision and comes at a critical turning point, providing the project new momentum. Momentum it's lacked for, well, since 19, or I should say 2018. In its announcement, the White House failed to disclose the project has been under development for more than a decade and has uh, faced significant delays instead boasting of its climate benefits. An accompanying announcement from the Department of Transportation described it as a project to help deliver high-speed rail service in California's Central Valley. Well, we'll see if in my lifetime that's actually the case. Well, red states are moving to stop deceptively worded abortion ballot measures from sweeping the nation. After a successful abortion ballot measure in Ohio that enshrined abortion access into the state's constitution, surprising some who voted in favor of it afterward, Attorney generals, I should be attorneys general in red states, are making moves to address ambiguities and euphemisms in upcoming abortion measures in their states to avoid deceptive language, an issue that pro-life groups say was critical in the Ohio vote. In Arkansas, Attorney General Tim Griffin recently announced, or rather rejected, a proposed abortion ballot that he said had a deceptive title and misleading text. Griffith He uh, outlined concerns about the ambiguities in the text, not enough clarity on the meaning of the words health and access, the potentially deceptive name of the ballot measure and other facts that he says need to be addressed and resubmitted. In Florida, Republican AG Ashley Moody recently called a pro-abortion amendment initiative that made made it to her desk one of the worst she'd ever seen. She wrote that regardless of her own personal opinion on abortion, Floridians are entitled to know clearly and concisely what they're voting for or against. South Dakota AG Jackley also took issue with the wording in a recent abortion proposal, writing that any suggestion that your proposed abortion amendment make abortion legal only for the first trimester is contrary to the language of the proposed amendment. The comments by the three Republican attorneys general uh, come after Ohioans voted to enshrine abortion access into their constitution in a vote that pro-life groups say was swayed by misleading ads from the abortion industry and vague language that they say goes even further than Roe versus Wade did. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll continue to work our way through the headlines. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Coming up later in the second hour of today's program, Michael Johnson, president of the Slavic Gospel Association, will talk about the challenges of Ukrainian Jews who fled Ukraine only to uh, travel to Ashkelon, Israel, just miles away from the border with Gaza and a whole set of different issues. Uh, the church there is ministering to them in Israel as well as in Ukraine. He'll tell us more about that when he joins us in the second hour of today's program.
Well, heads of universities are running damage control after the horrific testimony I've referenced several times this evening. Anti-Semitism has become a growing concern on these campuses across the U.S. since the attack on the 7th. But the Ivy Leagues have been uh, have seen a particularly alarming increase of, in incidences. Harvard president, MIT's president, University of Penn, you've got the list. Um, they appeared before the House Committee on Education and the Workforce on Tuesday of last week where they were grilled by lawmakers. Well, Congresswoman Elise Stefanek was stunned by the responses she received when she asked whether the calling of genocide and mass violence against Jews would be considered a violation of harassment and bullying policies. The women, more or less, all said um, it depends on the context and when speech crosses into conduct. So I guess you actually have to assault and um, murder before it's uh, an issue. In other news, employees at a cafe in Oakland, California, were filmed in recent days denying a customer said to be Jewish from using the bathroom at their shop. The female patron uh, was said to have complained to the staff about anti-Israel messages graffitied inside the bathroom and then wanted to go inside again to film the messages, but was blocked uh, from doing so by a staff member in blue hair, which is neither here nor there. We have a right to refuse service, they said, or she said. Currently, this is a private uh, facility, says the staff member. You're also misgendering them, so I need you to leave. A um, fourth uh, employee then tells the customer that she is allowed to use another restroom in the cafe if she would like. Well, Andy No weighed in, saying that far-left staff at Farley's East Coffee House in Oakland, California, tried to stop the woman from documenting the Zionism is fascism graffiti they approve of in the restroom. I know Israel like... Uh, likes taking private property and saying it's their own, the staff said to her at the time. The New York Post also weighed in. The customer is finally allowed in after asking, if you agree with the graffiti, why are you afraid that I will take a picture of it? Oh, actually, great, please. The mail worker said uh, with apparent joy at what she is about to see. She then films messages including Zionism equals fascism. Your neutrality or apathy is enabling genocide and free Palestine. History didn't start in 1948, um, lady. The male worker quips while the patron quickly films the inside of the restroom. Free Palestine. Now, please leave. One of the women said. The country's largest Muslim advocacy group, the Council on Islamic Relations, is celebrating the October 7th Islamic terrorist attacks in Israel. Today marks two months since Iranian-backed Hamas murdered 1,400 uh, Israeli Americans, Thai, and other innocent civilians inside their homes and at a music festival in the country's south. Women and men were raped, babies were shot or burned, and hundreds were taken hostage into Gaza. They celebrated. The executive director of CARE uh, at the um, AMP convention said, I was happy to see the people of Gaza break the siege on October 7th. They were victorious. The people of Gaza have the right to self-defense. Israel does not. Well, of course, you can make a distinction between the Palestinians and Hamas, but no distinction was made. President Biden's push to pass tens of billions in new aid for Ukraine stalled in the Senate on Wednesday, but the setback could inject new urgency into bipartisan talks over the border security measures that Republicans have demanded as a condition of their support. Democrats' sweeping foreign aid measure provides $110.5 billion for Ukraine, Israel, and other global hotspots. It was blocked by Republicans in an initial procedural vote. 49 senators backed the measure and 51 were against. 
falling short of the 60-vote threshold needed to advance. In remarks just ahead of the vote, Biden warned that failure by Congress to pass new aid for Ukraine could ultimately lead the U.S. into direct conflict with Russia if it won and continued to march westward. Earlier Wednesday, after accusing extreme Republicans of playing chicken with our national security, the president signaled he was open to making significant compromises on the border in exchange for Ukraine aid. We'll see where that ultimately goes. Meanwhile, RNC research says that Biden's budget director, Shalanda Young, dismissed border security as the politics of the day. But the truth is, Americans want a secure border. Well, according to the Santa Monica Police Department, officers were called to the real real on the 27th of November at about 1055 a.m. after four masked suspects entered a luxury resale store and forced their way past the front door security. Once inside, they used hammers to smash multiple display cases containing brand name purses worth $50,000. The suspects then fled the scene in a waiting vehicle. RNC research again weighing in on this story. I voted for Karen Bass. I voted for Biden. I voted for Gavin Newsom. I'm sick of it. End quote. Now city leaders are trying to work with police departments to prevent crime just after trying to defend them. Washington Post reports that D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser is expected to announce uh, a new real-time crime center where police will monitor live stream video from hundreds of closed-circuit television cameras across the city. The crime center, not yet completed, will be staffed 24 hours a day, seen uh, seven days a week. Well, the crime center is another component of Bowser's strategy to confront crimes such as carjackings, robberies, and homicides that are soaring in the district this year. Her administration is under increasing pressure to curtail violence and uh, restore a sense of safety to the city. The Crime Center initiative will include partnership with several federal agencies and suburban police departments. The shooter who killed three people Wednesday at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, was a 67-year-old career college professor who may have applied for a job at the university but not been hired. The gunman died at the scene after a confrontation with police outside a university building. Las Vegas uh, Metro Sheriff Kevin uh, McMahill said he was identified as Anthony Polito. The source, um, that source and another source in law enforcement said investigators are looking into the possibility that he may have been passed over for a job at the university. Former President Donald, uh, Donald Trump rather returned to a New York courtroom on Thursday to attend his civil fraud trial where his defense team questioned its final expert witness as the uh, case approaches its conclusion. Trump, two of his sons and their company are accused of participating in a decades long fraud scheme involving vast misrepresentation of Trump's wealth to attract favorable rates on loans and insurance. They have all denied wrongdoing in the case. Eric Trump joined his father in court on Thursday. The former president uh, listened as his attorney questioned Eli Bartov, a New York University accounting professor who testified about the role of property valuations and financial statements that are at the heart of the fraud case. He said that he saw no evidence whatsoever for accounting fraud and that the statements of financial condition were not materially misstated. Uh, Donald Trump made comments from a New York City courtroom saying I'm sitting in a courthouse instead of being in Iowa where I should be, even though I'm leading by about 40 points. Molly Hemingway, she filed a censorship lawsuit against the State Department. Uh, We filed a lawsuit against the State Department for their illegal and unconstitutional violation of free speech rights of our First Amendment rights. We did it with the Daily Wire and the state of Texas. 
with a new Civil Liberties Alliance. And what the suit shows is that the State Department was engaged in setting up, funding, marketing, promoting, and continuing to work with these private companies that are engaged in censorship of speech. That's a quote from the Federalist Editor-in-Chief Molly Hemingway. In the suit filed on Wednesday in the U.S. District Court of Texas, the State Department is accused of funding and promotion of censorship technologies and private censorship enterprises that blacklist conservative news sites. The Federalist and the Daily Wire, which negatively impacts the platform's ability to circulate and distribute their publications to both current and potential audiences. The lawsuit claims that the State Department technologies are intentionally destroying the conservative site's ability to obtain advertisers. A record 14 million guns have been purchased in 2023. The public has purchased at least that number this year, proving that there is no end to the country's appetite for firearms and support for the Second Amendment. In November alone, sales hit the high point of the year, fueled by an historic Black Friday and growing concern that foreign-influenced terrorism would spread to the nation. The National Shooting Sports Foundation, the industry representative that adjusts FBI background check data to estimate gun sales, said that there were... Uh, 1,595,476 sales last month alone. The group said earlier that there were, well, guns sold on Black Friday that was uh, exceeded previous numbers, a new high for the day known for Christmas sales and buying. For the year, the group estimates sales at 14 million. We're going to take a break. We've got news and traffic coming at the uh, top of the hour, at least traffic in Portland. And when we return, uh, we'll talk with Michael Johnson, president of the Slavic Gospel Association. We'll talk about the challenges of Ukrainian Jews, both in uh, Ukraine and in Israel, those who recently immigrated to a border town with uh, Gaza. That and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, a conversation with Michael Johnson. He is the president of Slavic Gospel Association. We're going to talk about Ukrainian Jews, both in Ukraine and those who recently migrated to, uh, immigrated to Israel. Fire from the frying pan into the fire. Anyway, that's coming up in our next segment. Well, SNL Saturday Night Live mocked Representative Elise Stefanek while portraying the three university presidents as rational. I'm not sure anybody actually still watches that show or if it's ever funny. This certainly was not a case where they got it right. There was nothing funny about the skit, just kind of cringeworthy. Post-millennial reports that the Saturday Night Live received backlash after their opening sketch mocked the representative for her line of questioning regarding anti-Semitism on college campuses for the presidents of three Ivy League universities. After three uh, the, the three presidents were uh, panned for their testimony about the, uh, the what went on in campus, SNL decided that Elise Stefanik was the one who embarrassed herself. Well, the producer for Blaze Media said SNL depicted Elise Stefanik, the woman standing up against anti-Semitism, as dumb and the anti-Semitic university presidents as rational. You can't make this up. I wish we had. Well, the Israeli Defense Force or IDF spokesman Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, he confirms many Hamas members have surrendered to troops in the Gaza Strip today, saying that they have revealed intelligence information on the terror groups functioning amid a ground offensive. From the interrogations of the terrorists who surrendered, the following intelligence has emerged. The situation of the operatives on the ground is difficult, and the Hamas leadership, led by 
Sinwar denies the reality, even though it is updated on the details, Sagari says. The operatives complain that the Hamas leadership is out of touch with the tough situation they are in on the ground. Another reporter says that leaked footage from the northern Gaza Strip today shows an apparent Hamas operative slowly placing an assault rifle on the ground as dozens of Palestinian men surrendered to IDF troops. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday called for Hamas fighters to surrender, declaring it the beginning of the end for the terrorist group. The U.S. embassy in Baghdad was attacked on Friday morning by Iranian-backed proxy groups operating in Iraq. Dozens of rockets were launched, with many landing close to the embassy compound. Fortunately, there were no injuries or casualties. Iranian proxies have launched nearly 100 attacks on a number of U.S. targets around the Middle East since Hamas launched its war on Israel in October. Green Zone and the U.S. Embassy compound in Baghdad, Iraq, were under attack within the last hour. This was reported in real time. 10 to 12 blasts heard. Robert Greenway said the attacks against U.S. forces since 1017 entered triple digits and now appear to include our embassy compound in Iraq. Appeasement invites aggression and the escalation continues unchecked. Associated Press reported that there are roughly 2,500 U.S. troops in Iraq and around 900 others in eastern Syria on missions against the Islamic State group. In both countries, Iran has militias loyal to Tehran. And finally, the Daily Wire weighs in. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reportedly told Biden that if the U.S. does not take action against the Yemen-based Houthi terrorists, Israel will, which comes after the terrorist group has repeatedly targeted ships, uh, shipping vessels with ties to Israel. The United States placed sanctions on Iranian officials who tried assassinating American government workers. Well, at least that's something. With a weak president at the helm, they must think it's open season on Americans. The Department of the Treasury Office of the Foreign Assets Control announced this week new sanctions against officers in Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps for their efforts to assassinate U.S. government officials. OFAC sanctioned Majid Dasjani Farhani and Mohammad Mahdi Kanapur uh, for having recruited individuals for various operations in the U.S. to include lethal targeting of current and former U.S. government officials as revenge for the death of Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, Quds Forces commander. The Treasury Department said that Iran was involved with aggressively targeting and stifling opponents and dissenting voices around the world through detention, torture and assassinations, both at home and abroad. Islamic regime targets everyone from activists and journalists to foreign government officials, including American government workers. The United States vetoed a United Nations resolution on Friday, backed by almost all other Security Council members and many other nations, demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, where Palestinian civilians are facing what the U.N. chief calls a humanitarian nightmare. U.S. Deputy Ambassador Robert Wood criticized the council after the vote for its failure to condemn Hamas's massacre in Israel, in which thousands um, of terrorists killed hundreds of, um, of people, mostly civilians, and took about 240 hostages, or to acknowledge Israel's right to defend itself. Wood said the resolution was divorced from reality and would have uh, not moved the needle forward on the ground. He declared that halting military action would allow Hamas to continue to rule Gaza and only plant the seeds for the next war. Thirteen of 15 council members um, back call for truce uh, after two months of war. The headline read, UK abstains, citing failure to condemn Hamas. Israelis, uh, the Israeli envoy thanks the U.S. for standing uh, steadfastly with Israel. 
While President Joe Biden rubbed elbows with Hollywood elitists, protesters gathered outside to rally against his stance on the Israeli-Hamas war over the weekend. Uh, Pro-Palestinian advocates, including Black Lives Matter members, waved Palestinian flags and chanted from the river to the sea. They call for the end of all Israelis, while the president whined and dined at the expensive home of designer Michael Smith and former ambassador to Spain, James Costos. Other protesters held signs that read, L.A. says no to genocide Joe. End all U.S. aid to Israel and come November will remember. This comes as the president's approval rating hit a new record low, reaching 37 percent, down two points since October and the lowest since he became president in 2021. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will get one last chance to prevail on senators to cut a deal on funding Ukraine's defense against Russia before the chamber is scheduled to go home for the holidays. Zelensky is scheduled to address all senators at a Tuesday morning meeting. The Senate is struggling to finish a deal that would marry Ukraine funding with new border restrictions. Senate Republicans last week rejected a standalone aid package that lacked border uh, border deal. RNC research weighs in. Democrat Senator Chris Murphy claims if Republicans don't give up their push for border security in the next 24 to 48 hours, then Russia is going to march into Ukraine and China is going to be given a green light to invade Taiwan. USA Today reported that in an effort to revive the talks as time runs short, President Biden said last week he's willing to make significant compromises on border policy if it means Congress can pass Ukraine aid. Murphy said he thinks the White House is going to get more in, uh, engaged this week on the border negotiations. One can only hope that will, in fact, be the case. At least um, uh, Chicago's Mayor Brandon Johnson tried to slow the surge of illegal immigrants into the city. At least he acknowledged they had a problem. However, this is the wrong way to fix it. It was reported that the mayor's uh, administration has reportedly begun filing lawsuits over what it has described as rogue buses transporting migrants to Chicago. The Tribune there reported that 55 lawsuits have been filed since new rules were implemented last month regulating when and where buses can arrive. The mayor's office is now seeking the ability to impound buses that don't follow the rules and fine owners up to $3,000. Let's hope the president does, in fact, engage this issue this week. Coming up, a conversation with Michael Johnson, president of Slavic Gospel Association. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Ukrainian Jews find themselves out of the frying pan and into the fire. When they left Ukraine to escape the attacks of Russia, only to endure the terror of a second war and the attacks of Hamas. Well, Israel is home to roughly 40 percent of the Jews from the former Soviet Union, who make up more than 15 percent of the entire Israeli population. They include Ukrainian Jews who recently completed Aliyah. Well, joining us to talk about uh, their plight today from the Slavic Gospel Association is Michael ja- Michael Johnson. Rather, he is the president of the Slavic Gospel Association. Um, he uh, joins us to uh, tell us what the Christian community is doing in this uh, difficult situation, and in particular, the Slavic Gospel Association and how we might come alongside and help them in their efforts. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Before we begin to talk about the Ukrainian Jews who have immigrated from Ukraine to Israel most recently, tell us a little bit about the Slavic Gospel Association. So the Slavic Gospel Association was established in 1934 by an immigrant from Belarus by the name of Peter Danica. 
So next year we're going to celebrate our 90th anniversary, oh. and um, and it was established based upon uh, the recognition of the increase in persecution uh, that was taking place in the Soviet Union at the time uh, toward Christians and churches. So we uh, so we were heavily involved in the covert distribution of uh, books and Christian literature and Bible in those countries, but we also had a significant uh, radio ministry. We had the largest uh, Russian language radio ministry. Um, that was being broadcast over shortwave radio into those countries for many, many years. And just as an aside, the, their most favorite radio program was simply the slow reading of scriptures mm. so that they could write it down as they sat in their in their attics and basements listening to the radio programs. And that's, that's how they were really given access to the scriptures. So when the... Um, when the wall came down, uh, we shifted our strategy, and we're, we we partner now with the largest group of uh, evangelical Christians throughout those countries, uh, known as the, as the evangelical Baptist churches. And there's roughly 6,000 churches across the former Soviet Union. And so since our narrative starts in Ukraine, I just want to say that when the war started in Ukraine, we connected with their roughly 2,800 churches, and uh, from day one, we were uh, we were distributing food and humanitarian aid uh, through those through their churches to people uh, who had lost their homes, people who were trying to make their way across the country um, from the east to the west to escape into uh, Eastern Europe. Many of those people were Ukrainian Jews that were making their way across the country. So they would simply go from one church to another, uh, be ministered to, get something to eat. We'd give them gas. They would give them gas, money, and whatnot, and um, and they'd be on their way. And so, obviously, the Russian Jews that that left the country to escape the war ended up in Israel. And so, when they got there, you know, there's a significant uh, network of Slavic uh, churches, um, Russian-speaking Slavic churches, and they would meet these people as they came into the country. These individuals, most of, for the most part, weren't Christians that they were meeting, and they would get them situated uh, in different parts of Israel. Most of them ended up moving to the southern part of the country in and around uh, the city of Ashkelon, which is, if you've been following the news, Ashkelon, uh, Ashkelon is a city that really took the brunt of the missiles and, um, and drones and there were also a number of Hamas uh, snipers that would be up on top of the apartment people trying to pick people off on the streets. So it was a very dangerous area. And so there is a couple of churches in Ashkelon that uh, because they knew where these people lived and they knew that they were in distress, uh, they would basically, we'd send them money. You know, they'd go out and they'd purchase food. they cook food. they put together these food packets. And uh, and these people, you know, had just moved there and trying to avoid one more, and they found themselves in the middle of another one that was very intense. And they really they didn't know what, they were just frightened, obviously. Yeah. And they lost all hope. They didn't know what was going to happen to them, and they were just praying that God would show up. And God did show up in the form of these Russian Christians that would just basically knock on their doors and you know, give them food and sit down with them and minister to them and and, um, and just do what God has called them to do in terms of uh, being able to minister to these people's need in their time of distress in the same way um, the Christians in Ukraine have been ministering to the people in their distress uh, based upon the war with Russia. So God is really working significantly in those countries, ministering to people both in word and deed. Well, that's so encouraging to hear that the church is at work in these war-torn areas, both in Ukraine and 
in uh, Ashkelon and other areas where Hamas has specifically targeted mm-hmm. um, their efforts. Uh, and reading the account of the work that uh, the Slavic Gospel Association um, churches are doing, I know the question has come up among those Ukrainian Jews saying, first of all, we're Jews. Why are you here? Why are you ministering to us? Um, has that uh, produced a, a hunger for the scriptures, a hunger for the gospel? How is that um, navigated during this very difficult time? Well, I'll just show you, share one story. Please. Um, uh, a rocket flew into their, uh, as, as the pastor showed up to this particular home, uh, he, he writes, a rocket flew into their house and destroyed the entire entrance. They've been in the basement of the house since the first days of the war, and we bring them hot food. When we told them that we believe in Christ, they were open to listening. After the conversation, they asked us to give them Bibles and to come again. We talked about Christ the whole evening, and they wanted to study the Bible with us. So we started a Bible study group in the basement. Please pray for these people. So when they come in, um, basically, you know, the question is posed to the Christian, why are you here? What motivates you to risk your life to come? and help us. And they just basically say that this is our ministry, and this is the ministry of the local church here. Um, and according to the scripture, um, you know, we're commanded to minister to people, you know, that are in need and in desperate, desperate situations like yours. And that invariably opens up an opportunity for them to share the gospel with these people. And uh, because many of the people, you know, in Russia, most of the people in Russia, in those countries, they grew up in atheistic homes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even the Russian, Ukrainian Jews did. And that tends to make them a lot more open to the gospel as opposed to having grown up in, say, Orthodox homes. And so there's a tremendous, tremendous openness that we're finding because we fund a, we fund a significant training and church planting ministry uh, where we're training Russian, Russian Jewish Christian pastors, sending them out into previously unreached towns and villages in Israel, and then... They're sharing the gospel, planting churches, and um, and discipling these people. So now, <clears throat> now that these people have been connected to an Ashkelon, they're literally coming to the church now to receive aid and whatnot and to continue the fellowship that was established when these people came to their homes. Just amazing. I wanted to emphasize, too, that you mentioned earlier that Hamas snipers have been positioned. This may not be the case now, but at least early on on rooftops, and they were uh, positioned to kill anyone who ventured out from their apartment to go to the grocery store uh, to get supplies and that sort of thing. So it was a a risky business uh, to serve um, uh, Ukrainian and other Jews in that area, uh, at least early on and perhaps even now. Yeah, well, Pastor Oleg, who is who heads this up in Ashkelon, he um, he was four months ago. He was sitting in his apartment uh, overlooking the Mediterranean up on the tenth floor in Ashkelon, and the sirens went off. He immediately stood up. His wife immediately stood up. They walked around the corner, and a mis- mis- missile dropped into their living room, destroyed their apartment, and killed the woman uh, in the apartment underneath them. So, yeah, uh, so the Lord spared their lives. Um, but, you know, they're not unfamiliar with with the effects of this war themselves. Yeah, the dangers. Their apartment. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if Ukrainian Jews express an interest in learning more about Yeshua, about Jesus, my understanding is Pastor Oleg uh, points to relevant verses in the Tanakh, the, the Hebrew Bible. Um, and is that something that is uh, fairly common among those who have been ministered to under this difficult set of uh, circumstances? Yes. I mean, um, one of the things that he tells them 
<clears throat> one of the first thing he tells them when they when they share the gospel with them is that Jesus was Jew, and most of these people had no idea mm-hmm. uh, because they just thought thought that Christianity was an aberrant religion. Um, so yeah, there are certainly you know, relevant Bible verses that are shared with them, particularly in in Isaiah fifty three, and um, and it really begins to open their eyes about the you know the common the 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 commonality between Christianity and the Jewish faith. Yeah, there's no question about that. Now, our listeners uh, who want to learn more about the the beautiful work of Slavic Gospel Association, in particular the work that's going on among Ukrainian Jews and in Israel, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, well, I can come to our website, um, which is sga.org. That's sga.org. And for the Israel campaign, it would be sga.org slash Israel Gospel. I will make sure that I put that on our um, website as well so people can uh, can check that out. I so appreciate your commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to ministering uh, to Slavic Jews and others who have the diaspora, if you will, from the former mm-hmm. Soviet Union, bringing yeah. them the gospel, serving them uh, with the love of Jesus and giving us the opportunity to come alongside and partner in that effort as well. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. God bless. Again, uh, Michael Johnson is the president of the Slavic Gospel Association. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to sga.org slash Israel Gospel. We're going to take a break. If you're in Portland, we'll be back in just a few moments to continue looking at some of the day's headlines. If you're in Seattle, want to say thank you to Pedro Bartes for engineering and producing in Seattle and hope the rest of you have a good night and will join us here again tomorrow. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland only segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue to take a look at some of the day's headlines. Well, the November jobs numbers held steady as job openings tumbled. In November, 199,000 non-farm jobs were added, slightly besting the expected 190,000. November also showed an increase in October's 150,000 gains. Headline unemployment came in at 3.7 percent, below the anticipated 3.9 percent. Monthly wages also rose by 0.4 percent, better than the estimated 0.3 percent. So that's good news. Well, the hot jobs market appears to be cooling off, however, as the number of job openings in October fell unexpectedly by 6.6% to 8.7 million openings, the lowest level in over two years. Well, President Biden is Santa Claus. At least that's what he wants voters to think. That's why, regardless of the time of year, his administration so far has approved $132 billion in student loan debt cancellation, including another $4.8 billion announced this week. Well, this taxpayer-funded giveaway from people who did not take uh, legitimate loans to um, uh, to people who did was struck down by the Supreme Court last summer. But the president waited a couple of weeks before enacting a workaround. House Republicans on Thursday passed a bill to stop him. It won't go anywhere in the Senate, and the president would veto it if it did. But the point has been made. The president now says, I won't back down from using every tool at our disposal to get student loan borrowers the relief they needed to reach their dreams. Well, they reached their dreams. They attended university colleges. A lot of them did. Some took out loans and paid them. Others didn't. Well, it's a rather long, complicated story. And by the way, those loans aren't forgiven. They're simply shifted to other taxpayers who will pay them off. It's not the government's job to steal from some people in order to give to others. But the injustice of it is that Republicans fighting against the lawlessness are the ones who will be labeled the Grinch. 
Well, Stone Ridge Asset Management founder and CEO Ross Stevens, he's an alum of the University of Pennsylvania. He's expressed his disgust with the University of Pennsylvania's president, Liz McGill, for her failure to unequivocally condemn anti-Semitic speech. Well, following McGill's testimony before the House on Tuesday, in which she refused to agree that calls for Jewish genocide violated the school's code of conduct against bullying and harassment. Stevens withdrew a $100 million donation to his alma mater. His action comes on the heel of Pennsylvania Democrat Governor Josh Shapiro publicly blasting McGill's comments as absolutely shameful because it should not be hard to condemn genocide. Following Shapiro's comments, University of Pennsylvania's Board of Trustees held an emergency meeting. That was on Thursday. Given Shapiro's comments and Stevens pulling funding, uh, it will come as no surprise if McGill suddenly decides to spend more time with her family. In fact, she did tender her resignation. There is an effort, however, to... uh, call upon the board to reconsider accepting that resignation. Furthermore, on Thursday, the House Education and Workforce Committee announced it will investigate Harvard, MIT, and UPenn over their apparent failures to address rampant anti-Semitism on their campuses. Foreign governments are getting their uh, your push notifications. If you think those visual alerts and audible dings that regularly show up on your cell phone are your own business and no one else's, you might want to think again. Foreign governments are requesting these notifications from Google and Apple, and these two uh, big tech firms have until now forbidden from uh, communicating that reality to their com- their customers. In a letter to um, corrupt Attorney General Merrick Garland, Oregon Democrat Senator Ron Wyden urged the Department of Justice to permit a- Apple and Google to inform their customers and the general public about demands for smartphone app notification records. As Reuters reports, Apple said that Wyden's letter gave them the opening they needed to share more details with the public about how governments monitored push notifications. In this case, the federal government prohibited us from sharing any information, the company said in a statement. Now that this method has become public, we're updating our transparency reporting to detail these kinds of requests, end quote. Well, better late than never, we suppose, but why on earth was our government allowing foreign governments to spy on American citizens without their knowledge and only under coercion allowed that information to be made public? It's an open question. America's oldest firearms manufacturer, Remington Arms, will be closing up shop in the Empire State. New York Republican Representative Elise Stefanik was unequivocal in assigning blame. It's because of New York Democrats' unconstitutional gun grab policies that the oldest gun manufacturer in the country has been run out of the state. Well, she's not wrong. There's also the lawsuit raised by the families of Sandy Hook mass murder victims against Remington, seeking to hold the firearm manufacturer culpable. After filing bankruptcy twice, Remington settled the lawsuit for $73 million. And with anti-Second Amendment hostility growing in New York, Remington's solution for survival was to move out and expand its manufacturing facilities in Georgia, a state that will embrace the Second Amendment, at least for now. Governor Gavin Newsom canceled a tree lighting ceremony. Tis the season to be, well, cowardly, at least in California and elsewhere, where Governor Gavin Newsom just canceled Sacramento's 92nd annual tree lighting ceremony due to fears of being scolded by pro-Hamas rabble. Governor Newsom decided to cancel the tree lighting ceremony rather than face the public that is enraged by his silence on the genocide in Gaza. That's what uh, Yasser Dabaur of the Sacramento Regional Coalition of Palestinian Rights says. In fairness to Newsom, he's not canceling the traditional Christmas ceremony entirely. He just 
held the particular tree lighting event virtually, like he did with California School when he kowtowed to the teachers union during COVID. Well, as the governor that kept kids on Zoom school for longer than any other state in the nation, we shouldn't really be surprised that he wanted to move this to a virtual tree lighting ceremony, mocked California GOP chairwoman Jessica Milan Patterson. We should note, though, that California isn't alone in cowering to pro-Hamas hoarders or rather hordes. Similar protests have also disrupted tree lighting ceremonies in the other gutless and increasingly godless blue enclaves of New York, Massachusetts and Michigan. Well, the president strategically delayed a methanol um, cigarette ban. Never let it be said that Joe Biden put public health before political considerations. Recall, for example, that his Food and Drug Administration announced its intention to ban meth. Uh, menthol, I think I said methanol, menthol cigarettes way back in April of 2021. Strange, though, the ban never went into effect. You know, kind of like those uh, batteries for those charging stations for electric vehicles. Well, the question, why not? Because uh, menthol cigarettes are enjoyed disproportionately disproportionately by African-Americans and Democrats were afraid that such a ban might anger uh, them enough to keep them from dutifully voting for the Democrats. So their health takes second fiddle. As American's best newspaper, the U.K. Daily Mail reports, the Biden administration is punting on a final rule for a ban of menthol cigarettes amid political pushback and warnings. The move could anger black voters who've been drifting away from the president in polling. The administration is expected to announce the rule will be finalized in March. That would be another delay after an expected August rollout got put off until January. March. Well, uh, what are the odds that the ban gets kicked down the road once again to some date just after Tuesday, November 5th? Just guessing, of course. Well, House Republicans filed a Biden impeachment inquiry resolution setting up a vote this week. Uh, South Carolina hopes Disney's divestment sparks a wave of states to combat woke the uh, woke ad- agenda. Abortion is legal in Wisconsin, just as a judge struck down a 19th century law. And Wisconsin governor vetoed the Help Not Harm Act, protecting children from gender transitions. California retailers without a gender neutral section for kids face fines of up to five hundred dollars under a new state law. Gender neutral section. I didn't realize they were assigned to specific genders. I mean, can't boys buy girl stuff and girls boy stuff? But now you have to have a specific designated gender neutral section for kids or face fines in California. Well, the conservative family model is a winner. We knew that conservatism, in addition to being a far more effective and sustainable governing philosophy than progressivism, is also good for young people's mental health. Well, it's true, according to a new study from Gallup and the Institute for Family Studies. As the study's author, Jonathan Rothwell, writes, after a decade of surging adolescent mental health problems and suicide, the nation's leading public health authorities have declared an emergency. Unfortunately, the solutions proposed by organizations like the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics do not meet the challenge and ignore what are likely to be the most important causes. Adolescent biology hasn't changed, Rothwell continues. The findings are clear. The most important factor in the mental health of adolescent children is the quality of the relationship with their caregivers. This, in turn, is strongly related to parenting practices with the best results coming from warm, responsive and rule bound, disciplined parenting. End quote. As David Bass summarizes in the Carolina Journal, in contrast, liberal parents are more likely to have a permissive parenting style and are the least likely to successfully discipline their children, end quote. 
Again, quoting from the study, the big takeaway, conservative parents enjoy higher quality relationships with their children, characterized by fewer arguments, more warmth and a stronger bond, according to both parent and child reporting. Ah, an interesting finding. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break and we will wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Just want to give you a quick heads up tomorrow on the program. Looking forward to a conversation with Lana Silk. She is Chief Executive Officer for Transform Iran USA. We'll be talking about the church in Iran. Rather interesting story that um, we should expect to be true. But uh, this, of course, is a reporting on what's happening on the ground. That's coming up tomorrow on the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Holocaust denial is growing among young people. John Adams once said that our Constitution was suitable only for a moral and religious people. We might uh, he might have added a historically literate people, but perhaps uh, that went without saying. Well, today, however, an alarming, alarmingly large share of young people are deeply misinformed about one of the most consequential events of the 20th century. The Nazis systematized effort to eradicate the Jews in Europe, according to an economist YouGov poll. Twenty percent of Americans aged 18 to 29 agreed with the statement. The Holocaust is a myth. While 30% neither agreed nor disagreed with the statement. Most troubling of all is that only 43% of that age group strongly disagreed, even though the Holocaust is one of the most thoroughly documented events in recorded history. Well, here it's worth noting that a key communication strategy of the world's Jew haters is to deny the historical fact of the Holocaust. They do this to undercut one of the most compelling reasons for having a Jewish nation. The most compelling reason, of course, is a matter of ancient history. Well, the Air Force is desperate for pilots. I'm trying to recruit James Blinn, but so far he's not biting. From the law of unintended consequences comes this unsettling news about our woke military, which under Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden hasn't consistently failed to meet its recruiting numbers. The Air Force says it will offer up to $600,000 in bonuses over the next 12 years in an effort to address a pilot shortage. As Fox Business reports, the bonuses range from 15000 to 50000 per year for contracts ranging from 3 to 12 years of additional service, the Air Force said in a November 30th, uh, 30th press release. Not surprisingly, that press release doesn't dwell on our military's well-documented unreadiness, nor does it mention our recruiting shortfalls or the obvious reason for the bonuses. Only that the bonus program builds upon the previous year's offers uh, to deliberately shape and retain experienced rated officers to meet Air Force retention, training and mission readiness requirements to maintain the lethality of the force. Well, good luck with that. As his Republican challengers vie for the favor of the Republican electorate in a, an increasingly toxic debate environment, Donald Trump continues to sit back and observe the goings on. And in doing so, he puts himself above the fray. The fruits of this strategy are becoming increasingly apparent. He now leads Joe Biden for the first time ever in the latest Wall Street Journal poll, 47 to 43. Polls have become increasingly unreliable in recent cycles, but the trend toward uh, Trump and away from Biden since 2020 is unmistakable. For comparison, that same poll had a Trump trailing Biden 52 to 42 just before the 2020 election. In addition, Trump picked up the endorsement of former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, As National Review reports, McCarthy also said he'd be willing to serve in a second-term Trump cabinet in the right position and if he's the best person for the job. He continued, 
I worked with President Trump on a lot of policies. We work together to win the majority, but we also have a relationship where we're very honest with one another. Well, that might explain, at least in part, his stepping aside before the end of his uh, his term. Well, according to the National Christmas Tree Association and the American Christmas Tree Association, apparently they're two different associations, trees are 10% more expensive than last year, with the average between $80 and $100. And before you're tempted to run out and purchase an artificial tree, I already have, and um, the price of those fake evergreens is even worse. According to our 2023 survey, observed Jamie Warner of the American Christmas Tree Association, he's the executive director, 52 inch, uh, or rather 52% of artificial Christmas tree owners purchased their trees for under $200 and 27% paid $200 to $400. To add perspective on Bidenflation's impact on the holidays, the calculation of the cost of 12 days of Christmas has set a new annual record totaling $46,729.86. That's up 2.7% over last year. The fun of calculating the cost of the gifts from the popular song began back in 1984 when the total cost came to $20,000. Despite inflation, the Christmas spirit remains strong. The vast majority of Americans are still committed to celebrating, and 94% of those surveyed said they still plan on buying at least one Christmas tree for their homes this year. The University of Pennsylvania president has resigned after furious backlash to her anti-Semitism testimony to Congress last week. Over 500 Harvard faculty members supported the university president in a letter to the board after the anti-Semitism hearing and the embattled Harvard president now under fire for alleged plagiarism, adding insult to injury. Saturday Night Live is getting some blowback for a vile skit focusing on GOP lawmakers instead of the college president's testimony. It wasn't funny. It wasn't well done. But that's SNL in the 21st century. EPA is shielding how groups spent uh, Biden's uh, cash bonus or bonanza, those bonuses for environmental justice. And 5000 illegal immigrants are being released daily into the United States. Sheila Jackson Lee lost Houston's mayor's race to a tough on crime state senator. She announced earlier today that she is going to run to retain her seat in the House. And Argentina's um, president's uh, new president immediately cut the number of government ministries in half after taking the oath of office. Apparently he can just do that. Well, on this day in history, 1910, inventor George's Claude publicly displayed his first neon lamp consisting of two 38-foot-long tubes At the Paris Expo. 1917, British General Edmund Allenby enters Jerusalem two days after his forces expel the Ottoman Turks. 1936, Britain's King Edward VIII abdicates the throne so that he can marry American divorcee Wallace Warfield Simpson. His brother, Prince Albert, becomes King George VI. And the rest, of course, is history. 1937, Italy withdraws from the League of Nations. 1941, Germany and Italy declare war on the United States. The U.S. responds in kind. 1961, a U.S. aircraft carrier transporting American helicopters arrives in Saigon, the first direct American military support for South Vietnam's battle against communist guerrillas. 1972, Apollo 17's lunar module lands on the moon with astronauts Eugene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt aboard. They become the last two men to date to step onto the lunar surface. As you probably know, China has quite a significant uh, moon project going on right now. We'll see how long they hold that 
uh, that uh, title. 1980, President Jimmy Carter signs legislation creating a $1.6 billion environmental super fund to pay for cleaning up chemical spills and toxic waste dumps. 1997, more than 150 countries agree at a global warming conference in Kyoto, Japan, to control the Earth's greenhouse gases. 2001, in the first criminal indictment stemming from 9-11, federal prosecutors charged Zacharias Moussaoui, a French citizen of Moroccan descent, with conspiring to murder thousands in the suicide hijackings. Moussaoui pled guilty to conspiracy in 2005 and is serving a life sentence in prison. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.